They're basically doubling Aiton That's when he's off idea. the ball. That's a good idea. Eliup, oh, what a play! Threw it down with one hand That's and one motion. Idea. That's a good idea, too. No one else in four years. That's dominance, as is that. DeAndre Ayton, who, in not too long, he'll be a one-name player. The one and only Bill Walton alongside Dave Pash had the call in Tucson when Oregon fell to Arizona 90-83. But what a competitive ball game that was. Let's go to the lines right now. Welcome back to the Quack Attack on 102.9750 The Game. Judah Newby here with you. And Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports, joins us on the line right now. Matt, good evening. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Um, let's start, though, with the Ducks' trip to the desert and the victory over Arizona State on Thursday night. Um, I was not convinced that Oregon would be able to go down there and get a victory, even though I thought they matched up better with ASU than they did with Arizona. I just thought ASU would be too tough to handle in their home building. Yet, Oregon disposes that Civil War loss to Oregon State, and they go down to ASU, and they take care of business and pull out a 76-72 upset win over the Sun Devils. What were your takeaways from that win for Oregon? You know, I was with, I was like with you. I didn't think Oregon was going to win, but I'm not sold on Arizona State, especially as a team that's you know, got a high ranking next to them because I'm a big believer in uh, experience being the hunted. You know, I don't think Oregon goes to the final four last year if they didn't go through that elite eight run the year before and have that experience of everyone gunning for them with that, you know, high ranking next to their, their name. And you know, I don't think Arizona state, you know, they've never, they've never been here before. And so I, I felt like Oregon had a chance. I didn't necessarily think they were going to win because of how bad they played in Corvallis and, hearing Dan Altman's comments and seeing his, his reactions after that Civil War loss. But with you, I was with you. I, I thought they matched up well. Um, I, I think they they turned a corner, mo- most importantly, with uh, their veteran players. Elijah Brown, uh, Mikhail McIntosh, uh, Roman Sorkin came in, gave them you know, his best 13 minutes of his Oregon career. Um, Peyton Pritchard, I think, played all but one minute and was f- fantastic on both ends of the court. Uh, Altman praised Pritchard today uh, about that meat availability. And I, I think we saw kind of the veterans kind of assume that leadership, assume that responsibility, and they made the plays uh, that we've been waiting for them to make, quite honestly. You know, this was a team that you said, okay, going into the year, your three, four most important players are going to be Peyton Pritchard, Elijah Brown, Michael McIntosh, and then you throw in Troy Brown. And while Troy Brown didn't play all that well in the desert, uh, the, the three three vets certainly played really, really well. What What is it about Troy Brown? I'm, I wanted to ask you about him, given his talent ceiling, and yet the production has seemed limited. I don't want to use the word disappointing because it's still right. early January, right? And he's a freshman, and, you know, he could still put this thing together. It's hard to gel with new faces, all those factors, but what are your impressions of Troy and how he's kind of fitting into the college game right now? You know, I think if Troy Brown was putting up the numbers that he's doing right now, which is around, I think 12 or 13 points a game, seven or so rebounds and, you know, three or so assists, you, you put him on Arizona, you, you put him on USC, UCLA, ASU, 
or a, another top 25 team in, in the country, and we're talking about Troy Brown being a lottery pick. He he does a lot of things that doesn't necessarily show up in the box score. He had a huge – yeah, he didn't score a lot of points against the Sun Devils. He struggled uh, in the first half with foul trouble, and, you know, Raleigh Hawkins shut him down offensively uh, down at, the, at Arizona on Saturday. But you know, he had that steal – uh, in a dunk that really kind of shifted all the momentum for Oregon against Arizona State. He had the rebound and the outlet pass down the court for um, Elijah Brown getting the dunk uh, in that second half. Uh, he he had some key rebounds in that Arizona State win. And while he only played, you know, he only scored I think two or three points against Arizona. He played 32 minutes and was was pretty good uh, in defending Raleigh Hawkins on the offensive floor. A guy that averages. I think 16 points a game, and I think Raleigh finished under that average. Um, I think he's a guy that he's he's a first of all he's a better three point shooter than I was expecting. You know that the the scouting report on him was he wasn't the purest of shooters. Uh, a guy that you know, did his damage at the rim. Um, I think he's certainly still trying to find his groove offensively. He said today at, at media availability that he feels a lot more comfortable after sitting down with Dan Altman and watching some film and talking with some vets on this team of just kind of where he, he needs to pick his spots and go. Uh, we'll see if that translates this weekend. But, you know, I think this is a guy that does a lot of little things and can sometimes get lost, but he's still a lot, he's still a first round draft pick. Um, a lot of the mocks have him somewhere going from late lottery to, you know, early twenties. And, you know, quite honestly, if, if you're picked in that range or projected to go in that range, you should go. Uh, to the NBA after after whatever year you're in. And for him, it's his freshman season. So I look at Troy, and I think, yeah, he's probably not scoring as much last couple of games, but he's still finding ways to make an impact, uh, and that's monumental for this team. Matt Prem joining us on Quack Attack. Follow him on Twitter, at Prem, Mr. 24-7. He is indeed. All right, moving to the Arizona game and the fact that Oregon, you know, they're up against it. Arizona blows me away with really how talented they are. And, of course, DeAndre Ayton is at the top of that list and how tough they are historically to play in McHale Center. Um, So given the fact that Oregon battled their way back into this game, Matt, and took the lead in the last 10 minutes and had the lead up until about three minutes left. And that's when, you know, that highlight happened that we played at the top of the segment of, you know, uh, Trier throwing it up and Aiton throwing it down as look, those are great athletes and great basketball players making it a great play. But that did seem to be, you know, the winning play late that seized momentum back for the home team. That being said, seven point defeat, Hard not to feel encouraged if you're a Duck fan watching the Ducks compete the way they did with the Wildcats at McHale Center, no? Yeah, I was more impressed actually with their loss at Arizona than their win at Arizona State because uh, the Wildcats started off the season bad. They, I think they went 3-3 three and three in their first six games. They had three straight losses in the Bahamas tournament. Uh, Sean Miller ripped into them, but they haven't lost since. Uh, I, I think they've won now 11 straight games, and they are by far the Pac-12's best team. And when they're healthy and they're playing at their best, which I feel like they maybe didn't give an A-plus or an A-grade performance against Oregon, but it was probably a B-plus level grade, um, they're still one of the best teams in the country, let alone the Pac-12. and. Like you said, it was ugly at times for Oregon. I think they had a 
a period of five minutes where they didn't score in the first half, and they got down by as many as 13 points. Um, but they found a way to, to come back and tie the game at half. And then, uh, like you said, they, they took a, a four-point lead with about four minutes to go in the game, on, and they had the ball. Uh, and, you know, that's all you can ask for, for for Nate Altman. You know, up four with the ball, four minutes to go, you have a chance to, to beat one of the best teams in the country. And while they didn't do it, you know, it's, it's ironic because their shot selection from their vets kind of killed them down the stretch. Uh, Paul White shot an early uncontested three-pointer that was probably not the best look. Uh, Elijah Brown tried to fire one, and, you know, you, you kind of don't hit him too hard with that one because he was on fire from three, but Oregon kind of panicked a little bit and just had that dry spell of two or three minutes, and then, boom, they were, you know, down six or seven points, and the game was over because they only had 40 seconds to go. But, yeah, they I think they showed a lot more in that one because – and I think they realized to themselves probably that, hey, we could actually be pretty good if, if we play the way Dana Altman wants us. And, you know, that's what they said today at practice. Uh, Dana Altman, you know, I asked him today if he felt like this weekend was a, a turning point. He, he said, we'll see. Uh, it, it depends on how they practice today. He said they had a really good practice yesterday. Uh, Peyton Pritchard said last week, early in the week, the team kind of came together and kind of talked things out and, I don't know if it was necessarily a players-only meeting. I wouldn't go that far. P- Pritchard did say that you know the, the players themselves kind of sat down and you know figured, hey, let's let's let's, figure, let's fix this. And you know it showed against the Arizona schools. And uh, I think they walk away from that weekend thinking we've got some work to do, but at the same time they're in a position t- this weekend where they can get two more top 50 RPI wins and you know get themselves back in that discussion for the NCAA tournament. You mentioned Peyton Pritchard's role in galvanizing the team, bringing them together, and his on-court development has been pretty special this year, too. You mentioned his effectiveness on both sides of the floor in that Arizona State win, and I noticed the same thing in the Arizona game. The impact that he was making defensively was uh, it was getting me fired up watching it. I mean, he, he was everywhere with active hands, pretty clean defense, and, of course, at the controls at the point guard position. What have you made of Peyton Pritchard's development as a sophomore? Yeah, you know, the first three games of Pac-12 play, he'd struggled. And I, he struggled handily in some, some non-conference games, in particular the PK-80 games. He got torched for 43 points by Trey Young. And at the time, we didn't necessarily think of Trey Young like we do now as the, the, the best player in college basketball. And, you know, people were already dubbing him the next Steph Curry. But, you know, he got torched there against Oklahoma. Um I know coaches were really frustrated during non-conference play with uh, sometimes his willingness to dribble too much and not move the ball. But you're right. This past weekend, he was phenomenal. And uh, I asked Dan Altman if if he's if it's going to take this Oregon team to to win games for him to. I think he only played two or three minutes. Uh, or he, he only sat for two or three minutes. Excuse me, against the Arizona schools combined. And I asked him if that's going to what it's going to take for Oregon to win games and. You know, Altman was very, very high on, on what Pritchard did last week on both ends of the floor, uh, praised his, his leadership. And I think he, you're right. You could see it on TV. You could see it uh, there that he was a guy that, you know, kind of grabbed the reins per se of this team. And I think kind of he was expected to be that vocal guy that, you know, off on the court, off the court. And I don't know if he was necessarily ready for that right away as, as a sophomore, because you know, he, he, he played a lot last year. He started, 
I want to say 36 or 34, 34 games for the Ducks last season. But, you know, he was at times the fourth or, or fifth most important guy on the floor. He's just basically out there, don't mess up. You know, don't get in the way of, of, of Jordan Bell and, and Dylan Brooks and Tyler Dorsey and Ennis and Boucher. Um, and so while he, he played a key role, he wasn't, you know, 1A or, or 1B or 1C of that team. And this year it's, it's taken him some time. But, you know, this last weekend it seems like he's maybe kind of gotten comfortable in that skin of, of being the go-to leader of, of, this, of this ball club. And, you know, from someone who spent most of my life in this state, it's pretty cool to see a, an in-state guy do it, you know, for, for one of the teams that you cover in, in the state. Uh, it really is. And he's got a couple of intriguing guard matchups this week with uh, Jordan McLaughlin of USC tomorrow night and then Aaron Holiday of UCLA Saturday night. Uh, and then big picture, Matt, what, what are the Ducks looking at with this USC and UCLA week in front of them? How, how are they matching up with the Trojans and Bruins? Well, I think USC is an experienced ball club. Their their bigs are very athletic, and, and Benny Boatwright and Chimizi Metu, uh, they've got a lot of experience. And McLaughlin at point four-year starter, he's going to be a handle. He's always kind of given Oregon fits, uh, whether it's been Pritchard or Casey Benson or Joseph Young guarding him uh, the year before that. Uh, so well, McLaughlin's going to go off. It's it's the key of getting to the basket, getting fouls. You know, I don't think USC is you know, a, a team that can withstand a ton of foul, foul trouble. Their bench is, you know, when they have to get to the seventh or eighth guy on their bench, you see a significant drop-off in talent. Uh, and there's also a psychological factor for, for this USC game. Morgan's won this game 14 straight. Uh, they've won 14 in a row. Uh, you want to get up big and, and kind of just, you know, have that hanging over this USC Trojan team. And I'm not – I'm not sold on USC being an elite team. I know people were preseason calling them a, a Final Four contender, and you know I go, I go back to my comments about Arizona State. You know this this is a team that's never made it out of the second round in a long time of the NCAA tournament. So you know why are they all of a sudden going to do it now when they've never had any kind of winning experience before that? Um, but for the UCLA uh, Bruins, excuse me, I this is a this is a confusing team because on paper they've got you know the second or third best team in the Pac-12, but they don't play very well together at times. They have some dry spurts. They have some, some mental lapses similar to what Oregon's done. You know, they lost Colorado at home, and, and it was almost wire-to-wire wire Colorado's lead, and at one point they had a double-digit lead for most of the second half, and you know, the Bruins just were, were, were terrible in it. You know, they've got they've got depth issues themselves. And, you know, I think this is a huge weekend for Oregon. You know, both teams are for UCLA and USC are ranked inside the NCAAs top 50 of the RPI, and quite honestly, the next seven games for Oregon's schedule kind of dictates what happens, I think, with Oregon's chances of getting into an NCAA tournament bid or not as an at-large because they've already got the RPI top 25 win over Arizona State. They come back and, you know, say they win these two. Now they've got three top 50 wins to their resume. Colorado's uh, almost a top 50 win as well, so that would be four. Uh, but then you've got a, a home game against Oregon State, and then you've got a road swing down to the Bay Area, two teams that Oregon should beat theoretically on paper. And then you come back home and, and you play the Washington schools. And while Washington's a much improved program from a year ago, they're still not better than Oregon. Uh, Washington State's another you know another down season for the for the Cougars. And 
you should theoretically go seven and zero, six and one. And if they stumble a couple times through this stretch, you know, it's going to really put them in a hole of, of a either not having any marquee wins or b having some really bad losses on their resume and not enough marquee wins to overcome those. So this is the stretch where Oregon's going to really put themselves in that position because they get Arizona schools again, they get a road swing to, to the L.A. schools, uh, and then a road swing to the Washington schools to close out the season. So if, if, they, can, if they can win six or seven of, the, of these next seven games, I think they're going to put themselves right back in the square of the NCAA tournament for a sixth straight year. I, I'm not going to come out and say they're going to be a three or a four or a five seed. They're probably, you know, fighting for a 10 or, or an 11 or a nine. Uh, but, you know, hey, you get in, you get in, and then it's, it's just matchups from there. But for Oregon, it's it's going to be decided, I think, in the next seven games. Well, you know, Dana Altman's no stranger to making hay in the NCAA tournament as a, a double-digit seed. I mean, he knows how to, right. how to maximize. Yeah, he certainly, yeah, he certainly gets the team to swing away. I mean, he... He had a, a team of, you know, three or four years ago of Joe Young and you know, Joe, Jordan Bell and uh, Dylan Brooks and Casey Benson when they were all freshmen, and they almost knocked off uh, the one-seed Wisconsin Badgers in Omaha yep. just hours away from, from Wisconsin. So, you know, if, if, if that team can, can almost knock off a, a number one seed, you know, this team can certainly do some damage because on paper they're the most talented team Dane Altman's ever had. Uh, last couple of things for you, Matt. You've been very generous with your time. You've mentioned uh, you weren't sold on Arizona State, and those feelings were vindicated when they lost at home to Oregon, and they've stumbled multiple times in conference play. Um, you've also said that UCLA is an inconsistent team. You said that you're not sold necessarily on USC. So I, I'm just, you know, it's been a wacky year in college basketball across the board in the country, yeah. but particularly in the Pac-12. Is there anyone that we can be sold on at this point? Or Arizona. Is, is Arizona. Arizona. The, yeah, they've got to be the only team. And, and below that, it's kind of a crapshoot, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Arizona's the one team I think you can sit here and say that, you know, they're a legitimate, you know, four-seed or better team. I think at the end of the day, they might find themselves a two or a three. Uh, I think they're going to win the Pac-12 by a couple games. Um, Arizona, maybe they, maybe they fix things. But, you know, they should have lost to Oregon State. They were down 13 points at home with, I think, six or seven minutes to go in that game. Uh, and, and Oregon State just kind of crumbled away, and uh, Arizona State won by two. Um, I just, you know, I, I think actually Arizona State's going to lose tonight against Stanford. Yeah. Um, but it, it, and Stanford's a team that's interesting because I, I know I said that, that Oregon should beat them on paper, but you know, they when they're healthy, they actually have – a pretty decent lineup of, of Humphreys and Travis down low, two really good big guys. They've got two really good freshmen, and then Dorian Pickens is a, a a solid player on the wing that can you know defend and shoot corner three. He's kind of a three and D guy, uh, if you want to use an NBA term. Their depth is their biggest issue, um, but you know maybe Stanford kind of. I know Dan Altman's been very high on them for two years, and they've just been derailed by injuries and. They were derailed earlier in the year for injuries, but everyone's healthy now. Maybe they turn the corner. They've won four in a row in the Pac-12. Um, Colorado's another interesting team. You know, they they go to the Oregon schools to open Pac-12 play and lose by, I think, 15 or 20 points in both games, and then they go home and knock off Arizona and knock off Arizona State. And, you know, they've, then this last weekend they, they beat uh, UCLA at UCLA. So, you know, I, Arizona's the only team in the Pac-12 I think you can consistently say is – 
legit and a team that's going to be an NCAA tournament team. Arizona State's going to be an NCAA tournament team unless they just completely crumble and, and, and choke away their season. But I don't I don't buy them yet as a you know four or five seed or better uh, in the NCAA tournament. But after after that, it's it's a mystery. I mean, is UW for real at twelve and four? You know, they're in some NCAA projections for the tournament already. Is Colorado legit? Is is UCLA or Oregon going to figure things out and, and and get themselves into the tournament? You know, and if you're Oregon, you know, spinning it back to a local perspective here, I think you if you're Oregon, you sit here and say, look, we haven't played the best for the first five games of of, of conference play, and the schedule is all out of whack. You've got Arizona State in the bottom. You've got uh, Stanford, and you've got Washington near the top, you know, things are going to even out a little bit, and we're only a game and a half, two games out from first place of Arizona. We still have them at home. We can still do a lot of damage. So if, if you're Oregon, you have to sit, sit there and say to yourself that you've got an opportunity to make up a lot of ground that starts this weekend with uh, two schools ahead of them in USC and UCLA. You got them going 2-0 this week? Yeah, I think I think they do pretty well against USC. Uh, you know, they're a two-point favorite. I, I just – I think Dan Allman's a much better coach than Andy Anfield. I think Oregon's got the similar athletes. Uh, and and the, only, the only thing that USC has is experience uh, playing at the Pac-12 level. But this is a home game. Should be a good crowd. I think they're expecting around 10,000 fans, a little bit more than that, at you know, Massey Night Arena tomorrow night. So, you know, coming off the, the high of – a road split. I think Oregon comes out and wins that one, and they're going to grind out a win against UCLA. 20 minutes of juicy content right there from Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports. Matt, thanks for taking the time, my friends. Good talking to you. Absolutely. Anytime.